KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, February 10th. Using conservatorships to address homelessness? More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. Mexican authorities have arrested three suspects in connection with the murder of journalist Lortes Maldonado in Tijuana last month. Mexico's President Andres Manuel López Obrador announced the arrest during a press conference yesterday. Maldonado was the second journalist killed so far this year in Tijuana and the fourth in all of Mexico. Mexico is one of the most dangerous countries in the world for journalists. 95% of all crimes against the press in Mexico are never prosecuted. Former Assembly member Lorena Gonzalez has made an official endorsement in the race for her former 80th district seat. She gave the nod to fellow Democrat and former San Diego City Council President Georgette Gomez. Gomez says if elected, she would continue a similar mission to Gonzalez. You want to build the work that she uh, laid at the state. Um, I'm going to continue fighting for workers. I'm going to continue fighting for environmental justice. Republican Lincoln Pickard and former San Diego City Councilman and Democrat David Alvarez are also vying for the seat. The special election primary for the 80th district seat will be held on April 5th and a runoff on June 7th. San Diego's temperature record for February 9th was broken yesterday when it hit 85 degrees. The previous record for that day was in 2016 when it hit 83. The abnormally warm weather is expected to last through the weekend. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. The number of people living on the streets continues to grow. That has providers and city leaders scrambling to address the problem. Some believe changing conservatorship laws is one way to do so, but others disagree. KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne has more. When you hear conservatorship, you likely think of Britney Spears and the Free Britney movement. When do we want it? Her conservatorship came to an end last November after 14 years. But there's another type of conservatorship that some lawmakers see as a tool to combat the homelessness crisis. We're not talking about 
an extremely wealthy, very famous uh, celebrity. We're talking about the sickest and most vulnerable people that live on the streets of San Diego and on the streets of cities across the nation. San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria wants to expand the current conservatorship law to force more mentally ill homeless people to go into treatment and get off the streets. Right now, the law says people who courts rule as gravely disabled can be placed under conservatorships, which means they can be placed in care against their will. For a portion of these folks, they end up in the criminal justice system, uh, which I hear very clearly from the public they are not comfortable with. Um, and there has to be some choice other than leaving them on the streets or incarcerating them in prison. We have to have a better option. He thinks the gravely disabled definition could be expanded. But providers say even if more people can be forced into care, there aren't enough places for them to go. Michelle Cabrera is with the County Behavioral Health Directors Association of California. How does anything change the day after that law is signed if we don't have more treatment beds, more housing, more funding for services? Cabrera says people stand a better chance at long-term recovery when they enter into services voluntarily. The vast majority of people, including people with serious mental illness and or substance use disorder needs, voluntarily, willingly accept both services as well as housing when it is offered to them. Our problem in California is that we have a major deficit of housing that meets the needs of very low-income Californians. Greg Angel is the CEO of Interfaith Community Services. Far too often we have to ask somebody, where did you sleep last night? And is it safe to sleep there again? Because help is not available today. He says addressing conservatorship reform before expanding resources is a backwards way of thinking. So until we have access to these resources, Taking away people's rights who want to access those, those resources who, but who can't just is, is, is going too far and is not something we would advocate for. Carrie Souza has been homeless since 2016 and knows she suffers from a mental illness. You know, I let them know that I, you know, that I have, that I have a mental illness and that I, that I need help with my medication and I need to see, I need to have a, um, an eval, you know, but I don't think a lot of people know to say that. She questions what will happen if someone rejects a conservatorship. What if you don't want to do what they're asking you to do? You know, is that going to, is that going to, you know, affect me negatively? You know, am I now not going to get the services that I need? So that would be pretty pertinent. Every Wednesday, Sousa goes to a Humanity Showers event for a shower, food, and clothes. Jordan Verdin, who runs the program, is worried that conservatorships could violate people's trust. And coming out here and speaking to people, you'll get to see a lot of the underlying issues are really deep-rooted in trauma and displacement. And this policies will actually perpetuate the trauma deeper by displacing them and removing them from their communities. But Mayor Gloria says the problem can't continue as it has. Something has to be done in San Diego and see it every single day of people who are clearly not capable of caring for themselves being left on the streets where they're vulnerable, sick, in some cases dying. It's absolutely unacceptable. We have to do something different. He will spend the next year working to change the law. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News.
A state bill that took effect this year requires everyone to separate and recycle their food waste. While many have found that complicated, the city of San Diego plans to help you with complying. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado was at the news conference on Wednesday when Mayor Todd Gloria announced the new plan. 39% of San Diegans' trash is organic waste. 15% of that is food waste. But if it's recycled, it can go from this to compost instead of ending up at the landfill, emitting toxic pollutants that harm the environment. Creating a lot of good green-collar jobs. That's why Mayor Todd Gloria held a news conference at Miramar Greenery, the place where that transformation takes place. You can literally yourself be a part of the solution, uh, and the city is trying to empower individual San Diegans to be a part of that solution. Flanked by environmental advocates and city leaders, Gloria announced the action the city is taking to help San Diegans comply with Senate Bill 1383 to recycle organic waste to fight climate change. The plan includes outreach and education, food recovery programs, and a new collection service just for organic waste. It's going to be a change, similar to what many of us may remember when we started getting blue can service at our homes uh, many, many decades ago. This will now occur with a green bin, and it's critical to our plans around climate action. San Diegans will get special containers that will help them recycle food waste in their kitchens, something Ryan Rizzuto already does at Kitchens for Good. We redirect uh, food waste and rescue. Um, and we're able to put into usable meals for the community um, and experience, people experiencing food insecurity within San Diego. It's part of San Diego's larger climate initiative called Our Climate, Our Future that was adopted in 2015 and is now being updated. So with our updated climate action plan, we will have a goal of net zero by 2035. Jessica Toth is with the Solana Center for Environmental Innovation, a nonprofit that has been working to get the community towards net zero for almost four decades. It's absolutely wonderful to have the city of San Diego and the mayor's messaging behind this important issue of keeping organic material from going to our landfill. It's a very pressing environmental issue. Renee Robertson, the director of environmental services with the city of San Diego, says it will take time, but eventually recycle your organic food waste will become part of our everyday lives. This is a, uh, probably one of the fastest and easiest things that folks can do at their home uh, to impact positively climate change. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News. The fees developers pay to build houses and businesses in San Diego County are about to go up. KPBS reporter John Carroll has more on action taken on Wednesday by the San Diego County Board of Supervisors. The board voted 3-2 to two to change how VMT, vehicle miles traveled, fees are charged. Developers had been taxed based on the number of trips generated by a house or a business. The change means developers will instead be taxed based on how many miles would be traveled. Matt Adams with the Building Industry Association of San Diego says the new approach will drive a stake through the heart of affordable housing. And that's what we have a real problem with because it's nearly impossible today to produce middle-income housing. If you assess these type of fees from 30,000 to a half a million, it's never gonna be created. But a spokesperson with the Climate Action Campaign told KPBS the new rule will incentivize infill housing and disincentivize backcountry sprawl in areas that are prone to wildfires. John Carroll, KPBS News. 
The Marines at Camp Pendleton unveiled the replacement for aging equipment that was used when nine troops drowned in 2020. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh was there at the Iron Fist training exercise. The new amphibious combat vehicle is designed to be more powerful on land and safer in the water than the 1980s-era personnel carrier which sank off the coast in July 2020. Captain David Perez. Drivers now have additional sensors. They have um, a screen in front of them, a display panel that will tell them if something's wrong. It's not, uh, you don't have to manually go down there and check something. The new vehicles used during the exercise will deploy with the Marines for the first time at the end of the year. There have been issues with the new vehicles. A ship-to-shore exercise similar to the one where troops drowned was canceled after a problem was uncovered with the towing system. Iron Fist, a joint exercise with Japan, has been going on for over a month. Steve Walsh, KPBS News. Coming up, a new state law requires schools to expand their mental health instruction. We'll have that and more next, just after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. A new California law will require schools to expand their mental health instruction. Educators say it would have been a welcome mandate before the pandemic, and it's even more so now. KPCC's Robert Garova reports. Looking back on his high school days last decade in the San Gabriel Valley, stress was the only mental health topic that Matthew Dipp remembers his teachers ever mentioning. But Dipp does clearly remember his own struggles with mental health in his early teens. I was in the process of recognizing that I was queer, that I was gay, and not having the acceptance in my life and in my community to handle that realization. Dip says he had really deep anxiety from feeling like he had to hide his identity from his family and others. One day, Dip locked himself in his room, and his mom called 911 because she was worried he might hurt himself. Like six policemen came to our house. They kicked down my door. They handcuffed me. Dip says experiencing two psychiatric holds as a teenager traumatized him, and it inspired him to take action. While attending UCLA and getting more involved with dance groups, Dip helped start a nonprofit called Cypher. Now he visits schools all over LA County teaching kids about mental health. Here he is at one of his workshops. So, our mission is to destigmatize mental health through our urban dance workshops. 
And the way we do that is through one, increasing mental health literacy. But Dip still doesn't think schools are doing enough to teach kids about mental health. Hit TV shows including Netflix's 13 Reasons Why and HBO's Euphoria are taking up serious teen mental health issues. The other thing about depression is it kind of collapses time. You find your whole days blending together to create one endless and suffocating loop. So why aren't California schools doing more to demystify depression and other common mental health struggles? That's slated to change thanks to the state's new mental health education law, which will expand mental health curriculum for schools across the state. The new law requires the State Department of Education, by 2024, to come up with a program for junior and high schools that covers symptoms of anxiety and depression and defines serious mental illnesses such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Adrian Shilton is director of public policy for the California Alliance, which supported the bill. Like the young people were coming to us saying this is desperately needed, we want this, and we need your help. Shilton says mental health education across the state varies widely from district to district. Part of the idea behind the new law is to provide some consistency and have mandated mental health instruction. While Shilton thinks it's a huge step in the right direction, she doesn't think the law goes far enough. For one, it only applies to schools that already have a dedicated health course. Forty percent of school districts don't teach health at all and won't be required to comply. Whittier Union High School District school psychologist Stephanie Murray says she would have liked the bill to include elementary schools, too. If you can identify these things early before it becomes a crisis, that's just so much more beneficial and important. Murray says since the beginning of the pandemic, she's seen a rise in anxiety among kids who are stressed out about everything from getting the virus to its effect on their parents financially. She also says kids are learning about suicide at a very young age. Do you want them to hear it from a trusted adult or do you want them to hear it from the media or from kids? Murray's push for education underscores alarming national statistics. In the first three quarters of 2021, children's hospitals said ER visits for self-injury and suicide attempts or ideation in children was at a 42 percent higher rate than during the same period in 2019. We have students that are still struggling. Reynaldo Vargas is a psychologist with the Downey Unified School District. Really letting students know where they can seek out the supports is going to be vital for them to start moving in the right direction. Vargas says his district currently runs grievance, anxiety, and depression groups for students. He's not sure yet what the new required mental health curriculum might look like at his schools. For its part, the LA Unified School District, which offers health courses, said in a statement that it's still reviewing the implications of the law and how it will impact existing curriculum offerings. For mental health advocate Matthew Dipp, the increased awareness can't come soon enough. I'm just like, wow, if I had had this younger, I think that would have just built such a foundation so that when I was experiencing those hard times, I could have navigated it a lot better. And that was KPCC's Robert Garova reporting. Tecate-based artist Irma Sofia Poeter has had a much-celebrated career. She won the San Diego Art Prize in 2016, and her work has been shown around the world. Much of her art is steeped in the border and gender, and it's informed by the textiles she works with. Her solo exhibition, New Man, A Woman's Gaze, is opening this weekend at Bread and Salt. It's a study on gender and imagining a new form of masculinity. Irma Sofia Poeter recently spoke with KPB arts producer and editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Here's that interview. So this exhibition, it's called New Man, A Woman's Gaze, 
it takes on gender, specifically men, which is something we've seen in your work for a while. And in your artist statement, you're defining this hopeful new man as someone who, quote, blurs the violent gender binary. Can you tell us a little more about this? A new man started with a pandemic. And when the pandemic started, you know, I started questioning my role as an artist, you know, if I wasn't able to do art, then what would I be doing, you know, and I started questioning also the infrastructure in which we live, you know, and, and how everything is so male orienting. And that's why, you know, the earth is in such a bad place, because there isn't this balance, you know, between the feminine, and the masculine, and a lot of my work has to do with that. So I started thinking about this. And that's where the idea of new men came. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of these works in New Man, A Woman's Gaze. Some of the imagery is a bit explicit. There's phalluses and the such, but they're all obscured in sculpture or with sequined cloth. And I'd love to hear about a few of these works and the way that you chose those materials. Yeah, I chose a lot of sequins, a lot of beading, a lot of lace, a lot of soft colors, a lot of textures, because that is language of women, I think, you know, that really attracts us. You know, fabric is a ephemeral material. It's something that you can handle it with your hands, you know, it's uh, very easy to work with. So I wanted to use that material to express the feminine side in men. It's an iconic art. You see this all the time. In all the pieces of new men, the phallus is in repose. And the idea behind all this is that I think we as not only men, this society as a total is really geared into being like very you know, doing things, you know, very gold already, just do this, your goal, your ambition, you have to be very focused. And I think that just by being just by, you know, having no agendas at all, just being yourself, just enjoying the moment in the present. So that is what I wanted to express with the phallus in this condition. And so much is said about the man's gaze and how it's dictated generations of not just beauty standards, but art, societal structures, even policy. And there's something a bit playful about you turning it around to be the woman's gaze, but also still incredibly serious. So could you talk a little bit about what a woman's gaze means to you? A woman's gaze is giving us the permission to look and to have that power of being able to look without shame, without inhibition, just with joy, you know, and all these materials are just emphasize this joy because it's a joyful experience. Uh, It's not castrating, there's no boundaries. It's just very open and very sensual and uh, very soft. So that's why I thought it was very important also, you know, putting that woman's gaze into the title of the show. First, it was only new men, but I said, you know, well, it doesn't have to do with sexual preferences. It doesn't have to do with sexual orientation or or anything. That's why I wanted to kind of have that there. And what role does art play in tackling gender constructs? When you look at a piece of art that talks about something like a gender issue, you know, and it talks about it through beauty and it talks about it through art. 
and through colors and through textures and through all this, you know, it permeates into you on a very um, subliminal and very, and uh, another level that it's understood in a, in a different way. So I think art is very important in that sense. It gives it another layer and another input that you can understand. That was Takate artist Irma Sophia Poeter speaking with KPBS arts producer and editor Julia Dixon Evans. Her exhibition, New Man, A Woman's Gaze, opens at Bread and Salt on Saturday with a reception from 5 to 8 p.m. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.